If you're able, please remain standing and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, we'll read verses 1 through 8. And then we'll spend some time a little later in the message in 1 Corinthians 15. If you're visiting with us, our normal practice is to preach through books of the Bible, passage by passage, verse by verse. But this morning, obviously, we're going to consider uh, another passage of Scripture as we've been in the Gospel of John. Matthew 28, beginning there at verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel said or answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went quickly out from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive the wonderful things in your word concerning the resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning I would like to begin by just asking you a question, and that is this. What does Easter mean to you? What does this time of the year mean to you? Uh, For some, it might mean a day off work on Good Friday. For others, it might uh, bring to mind Cadbury eggs and lots of other types of candy and chocolate. Uh, For some of us, for instance, in my own family, it can mean Lunch at grandma's house. Plan to do that today. Uh, But as we know, we're here and we understand really it is about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is this time of the year that the Passover occurs and has occurred. And it was at the time of the Passover that our Lord Jesus came uh, or at least came and suffered, was dead and buried and rose again on the third day. And so that's why Christians for centuries have celebrated Easter at this time of the year. Now, we believe Easter is every Sunday. Resurrection Sunday is every Sunday, uh, but it is that time of year. So we're considering the significance of the resurrection this morning. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is Uh, An indisputable, undeniable, 
article of the Christian faith. I mean, week after week, Christians confess we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who was dead and buried and raised again on the third day. And of course, as Paul says, the apostle in 1 Corinthians 15, at one time over 500 people saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, men have tried to come up with theories and tried to refute that. Uh, but there is evidence, I think undeniable evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And of course, without it, the Apostle Paul notes very plainly in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So the whole Christian faith hinges upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, what I would like to do is ask another question. And hopefully I'll answer it from Scripture. And the question is, why the resurrection of our Lord? What significance does the resurrection of Jesus Christ play in the biblical Christian faith? Why is it so important? And so as I answer that, what I'd like to do is to answer that question from three vantage points this morning from the past from the future and from the present. And again, we're going to be in different places of Scripture. This is a topical sermon. I don't typically do this, but I want to say as much as I can about the resurrection. I won't say everything there is to say about it, so I'll just get that out there right now. And so concerning the significance of it, then, let's consider that biblically from the vantage point of the past. Uh, The resurrection, first of all, proves the veracity, that is the truthfulness of the Bible. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, I think, demonstrates the truthfulness of the Word of God, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. I mean, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So Paul makes it clear. The resurrection of Jesus in addition to his sufferings were all according to the scriptures. And there I think he means the Old Testament scriptures. And so if we were to go back, we could find places in the Old Testament that talk about the resurrection and Daniel 12 and verse 2, for instance, it talks about this general resurrection. And uh, we could also see elsewhere in the Bible, the apostles in their sermons, their preaching, their writings, of course, talking about the resurrection of Jesus and how this was predicted in the Old Testament. The apostle Paul, in one of his sermons, in Acts chapter 13, in verse 30 and following, he basically tells the people who are listening to him about the resurrection. And he brings, he pulls uh, from his own mind three Old Testament passages of Scripture. Psalm 2-7, Isaiah 55 and verse 3, Psalm 16 and verse 10. And this is what he says. But God raised him, Jesus, from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem 
who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings. Glad tidings, he says. What is that? That promise which was made to the fathers. You know, his great ancestors in the Old Testament. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And he quotes the 16th Psalm and so forth. And so when we consider that, we see that the resurrection of Jesus supports the Bible's own claim that it is the word of God. It is true. It is the word come down from God. And since that is the case, it also shows us something of the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, that he governs his creatures, all their actions, that he is working all things to an end, that he has decreed whatsoever comes to pass. He works all things according to the counsel of his own will. Ephesians 1.11 puts it that way. So God's in charge. And God is the one who has given us the Bible. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, at the very least, undergirds that truth. There's another truth concerning the resurrection of Jesus as we think about the past, the perspective, that vantage point. And so that is this. The resurrection of Jesus validates or vindicates Jesus' own claims about himself. Jesus made many prophecies and predictions in his earthly ministry, as we see on the pages of the gospel. And one of those is that he would have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and be what? Raised from the dead. So we talk about the synoptic gospels, those three gospels that are very similar in their content, Matthew, Mark and Luke. And in those gospels, Jesus is found predicting his resurrection at least three times. Once after the feeding of the 4,000, that's in Matthew 16. Uh, Once just after the transfiguration of Jesus, that's in Matthew 17. And then once near the time of the Passover, near his death, and that's in Matthew 20, as well as Mark and Luke 2. And so this indicates to us that Jesus is the prophet, that his word is certain, that it is sure, that it will come to pass. I mean, he, he predicted it. He said it would happen, and it went down just as he said it would. And so the words of Jesus ring true, right? That he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 20, 28. That he came to redeem, to purchase his people back, as it were, to pay for their sins. And also, as he says... Elsewhere, as God says through Paul in Romans 1, 4, that he, Jesus, was, quote, declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus was vindicated in his claim of sonship to his heavenly father, powerfully so, through the resurrection from the dead. And so again, as I've already mentioned, perhaps alluded to in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17, Paul says there, the whole gospel message hinges on this truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Years ago, it was D. James Kennedy. I think he wrote a book and he he said, well, when you think about Jesus and his claims, he's either A, a lunatic, B, 
a liar, or C, Lord. And it's the latter. Jesus is Lord. He is true. And His claims to His own gospel are proven true through His resurrection. There's a third thing considering uh, the past perspective and vantage point of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ confirms His own Father's, His heavenly Father's acceptance and approval of His atoning work. You know, you find Jesus on the pages of the gospel talking about the work that his father sent him to do. That work is the atonement. It is to live in the place of his people. It is to die in the place of his people and also to be raised in the place of his people. In Romans 4.25, Paul says that Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses. He was handed over. Um, humanly speaking, to the Romans to be put to death by means of the cross because of our offenses. This happened, humanly speaking, because people betrayed him, but it happened divinely speaking because that was the way that God had ordered salvation. And so he was delivered over for our offenses, our sins, and was raised because of our justification with the view to our justification. And when we say justification, that's a biblical term. It refers to uh, the forgiveness of sins. In fact, it's a courtroom term. It's the opposite of condemnation. It means that uh, the, the court declares one not guilty, not condemned, but not guilty. And so our justification We receive that by faith alone in Christ. That's Romans 3 and a host of other scriptures. But the point is that Jesus was raised for our justification. What does he mean when he says that? Well, remember, Christ is our substitute. He lived the life that we were supposed to but never could. He died in our place to pay for our sins. And as Paul says here, was raised for our justification. Our justification depended upon His death, His burial and resurrection. In His death, He paid for our sins as our substitute. And in His resurrection, He was, in the words of another, He was legally discharged and thus so were we. Another old writer put it like this. We sinned, therefore He suffered. By his death, we were justified. Therefore, he rose. In other words, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God the Father was declaring to the world that he accepted the work of his own son, our Lord Jesus Christ. That just as he said before his death, at his baptism, this is my son in whom I am well pleased Through the resurrection, it is as if the Father said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. He did it. He accomplished it. It's paid for in full. And so Paul puts it negatively in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17. If Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So we need to understand the significance of the resurrection. And so from looking to the past, we learn about the resurrection. 
that it verifies the truthfulness of the Bible and the gospel. It vindicates the claims of our Lord Jesus Christ and confirms the Father's acceptance of Jesus' work on our behalf as Christians. Second, now we want to look to the future. I want us to think about the future and what the resurrection of Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago means for the future. What connection is there to that which is to come? Well, first of all, there are about three things or so. First of all, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ means that Jesus himself has conquered the last enemy, the Christian's last enemy, which is death. That's pretty much obvious. He was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again. If he rose again from the dead, he has conquered the grave. He has conquered death itself. You might say, well, that's great for him. What does that mean for me? Well, if you're a Christian, here's what it means for you. It means that his promise is true, that he can and will give you eternal life. That's the promise of the gospel. One of them, that if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. John 14, 6. And so Jesus in John 14, you know, he's in the upper room with his disciples. He's about to go uh, to the cross. And so he's giving this um, discourse to his disciples. He's telling them he must go. It's to their benefit if he goes. For the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will come to them if he goes. And then he says this in verse 19. A little while longer. And the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. That's the promise of Jesus to his people. Because I live, you will live also. There is this connection, this dependence upon our eternal life and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ after his resurrection or at the time of his resurrection. This inseparable link. Because I live, you will live also. In other words, the resurrection of our Lord from the dead is the basis for the Christian's resurrection from the dead. Even our bodily resurrection. So it means we'll get eternal life. And even that is now. We possess that now as Christians. But we also get a resurrected body. A resurrected body. But you might be asking, what happens to my soul if I die now? Well, as Hebrews 12 puts it in verse 23, it says that the soul of the Christian enters that place called the spirits of just men made perfect, complete, just, the forgiven, those who are justified. In other words, if you die, Christian, right now, Before the Lord Jesus comes back the second time, you go with the other saints into heaven among the just who are made perfect. And so if Jesus doesn't come back first and we die, our bodies go to the grave. They will see corruption, although it takes longer these days, I hear, because of all the preservatives we eat. Our bodies will see decay. 
But at the last day, attending the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, his physical bodily return, there will be the day of judgment, but also there will be that resurrection of the dead. And as Christians, we will receive resurrected bodies then. Now, if you are alive at the time of Christ's return, the Bible tells you what will happen then. You'll be transformed, right? Your body. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52, Paul says that those who are alive shall be changed in what? The twinkling of an eye in an instant. Through God's miraculous, awesome, almighty power. And so the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that he's conquered the Christian's last enemy, which is death. He's already given to us by faith eternal life, and we one day will receive that resurrected body. Now, the question arises, it should, what will the Christian's resurrected body be like? Have you ever wondered that? I have. And this is a glorious thing to study. We, we can't know fully. We can't comprehend it totally. But we have clues in the Bible. All we have to do is look at the risen body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that? If you want to see what your resurrected body, Christian, will look like, look at the resurrected body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how do I know that? Where do I get that? In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20, Paul says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. He's talking about dead Christians. Christ, the risen Christ, is the first fruits of dead Christians. What does he mean by saying first fruits? This is true in any area where people grow crops. And it was true in biblical times. It was true in Old Testament times. Paul is referring to this thing in the Old Testament of the first fruits. And, you know, if a farmer wants to see what his crops are going to be like for that season, he looks at the first crops to come up. And in a sense, that's a guarantee. It's a guarantee of that which is to come. So that's one of the things Paul is saying there is that if we want to see what the remaining crops to come look like, look at the first crop, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He is the first fruits. Also in the Old Testament, the first fruits symbolized and consecrated the entire harvest which would follow. And our Lord Jesus has done that for his people. He has consecrated all of his people. The harvest to follow. And he symbolizes, at least gives us that clue, an indicator of what the resurrected body will be like. In Philippians 3, Paul says it there. In verse 21, about Jesus, he says, It is he who will transform our lowly body, the earthly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is even to subdue all things to himself. The very same power that has raised Jesus from the dead, the same power of God that will subdue all things unto himself is the same power that he will use to raise our bodies from the dead and to conform our resurrected bodies to be like the resurrected body of our Lord Jesus Christ. So hopefully you get that. You understand what I'm saying? 
And so then the question is, well, what does the resurrected body of our Lord Jesus look like? Well, there's continuity. There's similarities between the pre-resurrected body of our Lord Jesus and the post-resurrected body of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, after he was raised from the dead, we see in the Gospels, although there were sometimes difficulties and delays with this, his disciples could recognize him. Brothers and sisters, I believe, if not in what we call the intermediate state when we go to heaven right now, I think we will there, but also I think because of our resurrected bodies and the similarities between the pre resurrected body and the post resurrected body of Jesus, I think we will be able to recognize one another. His disciples could recognize him. His resurrected body had the same markings of his death, you know, the, the pierced wrist or hands and the pierced side. He told Doubting Thomas, Look, look at my side. And Jesus ate after the resurrection. Some say there's no indication that that was necessary, but he fixed his disciples. Yeah, he fixed his disciples fish. He cooked them fish um, after his resurrection and they, they all ate. He ate with them. And so it will be with our resu- resurrected bodies. They will be recognizable. And yet there is discontinuity. There are some things that are different between Jesus's pre and post resurrected body. Theologians note that his resurrection marked a transition from his estate of humiliation to his exaltation. In order for Jesus to be exalted as Lord over all, Lord over heaven and earth, he had to go by way of the cross. And even his incarnation coming down as the second person of the Godhead was part of his humiliation. He went to the cross And on the third day, gloriously, as he promised, he was raised from the dead and entered, therefore, into his exaltation. And you know what happened after that, perhaps days later, he ascended upon high and sat down at the right hand of God, the father, from where he rules over heaven and earth, even to this day. And so there was something different about his exalted, glorified Resurrected body. His glorified resurrected body was not restricted by ordinary limits of transportation. Um, Jesus' resurrected body was not limited by physical barriers. He could just pass through the crowds. He could just go here to there. Somehow. Miraculously so. He is the Lord God Almighty. Omnipotent. All-powerful. Now, we won't possess those same attributes that make him God, uh, but we will possess that resurrected body like him. And evidently, Jesus could fly. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. In Acts chapter 1, he was caught up. And I'm not saying we're going to fly. Don't quote me on that. I don't know. But there's something different, and the Father took him. In the Old Testament, there were types, I think Elijah and so forth, um, were just caught up into heaven. But the Lord 
in his resurrected body somehow, miraculously so, ascended and went to heaven and sat down at God's right hand. That's in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and following. Now, again, I don't want to state the claim, make the claim that we can fly, that we're be like that, but who knows? But listen to a 19th century Presbyterian, by the way, preacher, Robert Alexander Webb. He said this, speaking of the resurrection and the bodies that we Christians will receive. He said, oh, but at last, how physically weak is man in this world? As an infant, he is abjectly helpless. His best powers begin to wane as soon as he is fully grown. He totters in old age. He lies down in the limpness of death. He is carted to his grave. The future body, on the other hand, will be instinct with strength and energy. Inexhaustible in resources and clothed with undreamed capacities, possessing the immortality of youth, the pleroma of endurance and the powers of unimagined achievement. Amidst all these human weaknesses, Christian hope dares to look forward to an eternal life in a body plenipotent strength, in a body of full, powerful strength. Don't you just want to pause and think about that? You who have aching, tired bodies in this life, aging bodies. And so again, as Paul says, our body will be transformed into the likeness of the Lord Jesus' glorious resurrected body, Philippians 3.20 and 21. To put it in another way, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says in verses 42 through 45, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And thus we see something of what our future resurrected bodies will look like as Christians. Now what about the elect who were murdered in their mother's womb? Or what about the elect infant that just died in infancy? I agree with Cornelius Venema, Christian writer, author, teacher, that as Jesus points out in Matthew twenty-two thirty, there is no marriage in heaven. And probably there's no growth in heaven. We'll receive a mature resurrected body you mom and dads who have had children to die whether a miscarriage or at a young age I pray that you will see them and recognize them at the resurrection what about those who have severe Physical or mental impairments. Those elect children of God. 
Psalm 103, verse 2 says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Isn't that wonderful? And so we get a glimpse of the resurrected body. And again, if someone dies a horrific death and their body is blown to smithereens, if there is a Christian on that space shuttle in the 80s that exploded over Earth, that Christian's body will be put back together and transformed to be like the glorious resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, concerning the future, then there's one other thing here. Uh, Jesus' resurrection not only guarantees the redemption and transformation of our physical bodies as Christians, it guarantees the same for creation. That there will be this renewal of creation itself. In Romans 8, Paul talks about the groanings, like birth pains, of this present world. Romans 8, 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And it awaits its redemption. The second coming of the Lord Jesus will forever gloriously transform God's creation, which has been cursed by the fall into sin. As 2 Peter 3 puts it, we await a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Only the righteous get to stay. Jesus says in Matthew 5, the who shall inherit the earth? The meek. Those who have the birthmarks of regeneration. Those who are indeed truly Christians and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we think about the future, um, Jesus conquered death. And that for his people, we see an indication of what our resurrected and glorious bodies will be like as Christians. When we look at the resurrected body of Christ, and then we see again that this glorious, even now creation, will be renewed by the power of God. Based on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, last... And not for very long. I want to consider then the resurrection of Jesus Christ concerning the present. What bearing does the resurrection of Jesus Christ have on men today? What impact will it have on you, no matter who you are, or where you've been, or where you are going tomorrow? It is consequential to all men. There are consequences of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for all who have not yet believed in Jesus. For those who have never turned from their sins, repented and believed the gospel and followed the Lord Jesus Christ and said, save me, the chief of sinners. For that person, the resurrection has an impact. What is that? 
Well, it is a resurrected body. It's not going to be like the resurrected body of Christians. We don't know exactly what it will look like. But in John chapter 5 and verse 29, our Lord says that there will be the resurrection of life, that there will be the resurrection of condemnation. Two types of physical resurrections for all men. One is unto life. One is unto condemnation. And so if a person, if you die as an unbeliever, you will be raised on that day unto condemnation, not justification, not the forgiveness of sin, but to receive that just penalty that we all deserve forever. Separation from God, hell forever. And then, of course, that implies the judgment, the day of judgment. In his sermon, in Acts 17, in verse 31, the Apostle Paul says, Because he, God, has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. There is that last day, the day of judgment coming. God has provided assurance to all men that that day is coming. How? By raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Who's going to do the judging? God, Jesus. By what standard? In righteousness, God's law, His commandments. What does the Bible say? We have all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. There's none righteous. No, not one. And so if this describes you, why would you not come to Jesus to receive the forgiveness of sins forever? To avoid the judgment of condemnation and to receive that glorious body that will be like his where you will spend eternity with God and other Christians forever. If you haven't done that, please do. And then there are consequences for the believer as well. Hopefully now you can answer the question as to the significance of Christ's resurrection. It validates, it confirms the claims of the Bible, that it's true in the gospel. It vindicates the claims of our Lord Jesus Christ. It guarantees our own resurrection. It shows us what our physical bodily resurrection will be like, and it guarantees the renewal of creation. But there's more than that. In John 14 through 16, Jesus talks about sending the Holy Spirit. Because of His resurrection, we have the power to live for Him today by the power of His Spirit. Maybe you struggle with assurance. Assurance of your salvation. Well, we are called to examine ourselves and see if we're in the faith. We're to examine our own faith to make sure it's not dead faith. That it's living faith, James 2. That it works. We aren't saved by works. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But if you struggle with your assurance of salvation, think about the resurrection of Jesus and what Paul says in Romans 4.25. God has demonstrated the approval of the work of His Son by His resurrection. He was raised. His work was complete. Therefore, your salvation is secure in the hands of Jesus, the one who holds your hand, 
who holds the Father's hand, who says no one can snatch you out of His hand. And then, Christians, should we not glory in our Savior and what He has done for us? Even though we struggle against sin, even though we suffer sickness and grow old in our present bodies, we totter in our old age. One day we shall be without sin. We shall have bodies that will never perish. And we shall forever be with the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for revealing your gospel to us, your word. And we pray that as Christians, we will be salt and light during these times of the year where, at least in ages past, the public knew something of the incarnation and the suffering, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Equip us, we pray, to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.